Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about pre-emerge wheat herbicides. If you've got any questions about that or anything else agronomically, we'd be happy to talk to you. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD if you want to call in. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. To start things out, though, with pre-emerge wheat herbicides, I would say usually we're talking about three main choices. And if you don't raise wheat, you might say, well, I'm not going to get much out of this show. No, um, all these products can actually be used in other crops, too. So especially when we talk about the first two that I'll mention, Sharpen and Anthem Flex. So what Sharpen is, it is a PPO. So it's in the same chemical family as Flexstar, Cobra, and Cadet, as well as Valor and Authority as pre-emerge herbicides. But anyway, Sharpen is one of the few that can be used for PPOs in wheat. So we really like Sharpen because not only does it have fantastic burndown, but it also gives you good residual. You can't use a high rate of Sharpen in soybeans, which is why we don't like Sharpen in soybeans. We'd rather see you use Valor Authority. But in wheat, you can't use Valor Authority, but you can use Sharpen and you can use it at a higher rate. So the reason why you can't use it at a high rate in soybeans is because of crop injury. But we don't have to worry about crop injury in wheat because Sharpen is real easy on grasses. It doesn't kill grasses at all, and wheat obviously is a grass. So anyway, Sharpen's fantastic on broadleaf weeds. So let's say you got a major problem with kochia, mare's tail, water hemp, palmer pigweed. You want to use Sharpen as a pre in wheat. Cost around 10 bucks to use two ounces, but... You know, it, I, I understand that's going to be more than you're used to spending for a pre-emerge herbicide for wheat, especially if you've been spending zero, but it's worth it if you got a major broadleaf problem. Now, if I go over to this Anthem Flex product, what that is, it's a combination of AIM, which is a PPO that has no residual, it's just burned down, and a group 15, Zidua, it's the only group 15 labeled for wheat, and that has only residual, no burndown. So anyway, this is a nice combination, this Anthem Flex. So you got a residual product, Zidua, and you've got a burndown product in AIM. Now, AIM isn't the best at burning down grasses, but it's really good at burning down most broadleaves. So anyway, you want to use that late pre, or even it could potentially be used early post. Sharpen can only be used pre. Uh, anyway, with Anthem Flex, you're probably going to spend similar money. I mean, it might be somewhere around 10 bucks. Then you get to the third choice that we usually talk about. That's Prepare. That's the same thing as Everest 3.0 that you could use post-emerge. It's an ALS herbicide. The difference is Everest 3.0 has a safener for post-emerge use, and Prepare does not. So if you want the unsafened product that is cheaper, you can go with Prepare because it does not cost much money. We're talking three, four bucks an acre, maybe $5 an acre at most. So we really like that because it's got very good activity on some of the tougher grasses. Anthem Flex is going to have activity a little bit on Italian ryegrass, but mostly it's foxtails. Whereas if I go over to Prepare, that's got better activity in a lot of the brome species that many people in wheat fight. So... Anyway, I'd, I'd just say, yeah, it's an ALS herbicide prepare, so it's not going to kill your ALS-resistant weeds, but it does have some activity on broadleaves, lots of activity in grass, and it's really cheap. 
So anyway, those are the three we usually talk about here, sharpen, anthem flex, and prepare. But we'll get to those and some others as we go throughout the show today. Right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, this question comes in from Kevin over in Minnesota, and Kevin says, for a few years now, I've been considering harvesting soybeans wetter. Uh, The title of his email, by the way, Brian, you'll like this, harvesting 15 to 16% moisture soybeans. Now, he said, my main goal is to avoid harvesting 10 and 11% soybeans. Last year, this worked very well as the local elevator is only shrinking the soybeans at 1.5%, where normally I had to accept 2 to 3% shrink. The one thing I did notice was the number of green pods and green soybeans, though, when I was harvesting early. I'm wondering, how are you managing this, or is this a problem at all on your farm? I plan on using the end zone controller to help with my soybean bin moisture, but green soybeans in a pot and pods are my big concern. Okay, so for us on our farm, pretty much all our soybeans are raised for seed. So we don't usually have this problem because we're not holding on to the beans forever. They're gone by the end of the winter. They're out of our bins. We have harvested wet beans for years, though, and I'm talking we like to start harvesting soybeans 15 to 17% moisture. We have these automatic bin fan controllers that will then lower the moisture down to 13%. It's amazing. It allows us to start harvest early, which means we finish early. So that's really super beneficial for us. I would say, though, in your situation, if you're that worried about these green pods, that you could just let the beans dry down a little bit. Let's say they get down to 11% moisture, like you mentioned use the automatic bin fan control to go the opposite way and put more moisture back in. So it it only takes a few weeks to get that done. No big deal. It's real easy to bump that moisture in the bin from 11 up to 13. So again, that's if you're worried about those pods. Yeah, and I know nobody likes to do this, but if you've got areas in the field you need to leave and there's other areas that you can harvest, you can certainly do it that way too. Kevin did made a, make a comment, in my area of the country, which is west central Minnesota, there are iron deficiency chlorosis areas in the field where the plants get stunted and then they are green longer into the fall as they try to make it up and yeah we would definitely say you want to take those areas out of the field too so if there are problem areas of the field that that could be a little different issue where you know you're going to have a problem every year with gosh there are going to be some green beans and pods out there fix those areas as best you can with more tile and uh, and other practices right thanks for the question kevin um got a lot to talk about today. Uh, We're going to talk pre-emerge wheat herbicides. We've got a number of questions that have come here into the Ag PhD mailbag as well that we're going to get to throughout the show. If you have an agronomic question or just want to talk about what's happening on your farm, our our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us radio at agphd.com as well. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, we'll be right back. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. 
During the Bronze Age, grain sorghum was a common crop in developing agriculture. Today's technology has changed virtually everything, but grain sorghum largely hasn't changed until now. Introducing Emiflex herbicide, paired with iGrowth non-GMO herbicide-resistant grain sorghum, this duo controls foxtail and other tough weeds pre- and post-emergence so you can grow like never before. Make history in your sorghum makers. Start today at sorghumpotential.com. Always read and follow label directions. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answers to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. Talking pre-emerged wheat herbicides on today's Ag PhD radio program and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. I've got Kirk Seg around with us right now with FMC to talk a little wheat pre. Kirk, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me today, gentlemen. All right, so Brian kind of laid out the the uh, problem that we've got with pre-emerged herbicides and wheat. Well, do you have grass or do you have broadleaves or do you have both? And sometimes if we pick a, well, I got a great solution for grass, but forget about the broadleaves, the broadleaves could take over. And so it's kind of nice having products that, that can take a, take a swing at both of those. Um, and we've got two great products for that. We've got Anthem Flex, which is very strong on grasses and picks up a few broadleaves to pre. And where the labels allow, we have Finesse, which is another great mostly broadleaf, but it does pick up some grasses as a pre for wheat. I'd say one of the biggest questions that we've gotten, Kirk, over the last few years on pre's for wheat has been about these group 15s. And when mm-hmm. when you look at a product like, product like Anthem Flex, you get a lot of questions about that one. So what is the timing that you like to see that used? And then what are some of the best practices growers can do to get the most out of that product? So I personally like to get them on as soon as we can in the spring just to make sure we get that rainfall event to incorporate them before those spring grasses and spring broadleaves come up. Um, I always recommend them going out with, with Lifesate or a, a, a Paraquat-type product um, to take care of any merged weeds. And the other thing to make, really make them work more effectively is, is managing your residue. When we look at all these Group 15s like Anthem Flex, um, we can lose some of that efficacy just due to straw tie-up. So we need to manage our residue a little better and make sure we get that soil contact with the herbicide. I've talked to quite a few farmers that have been discussing Italian ryegrass, saying this is their go-to product now. What have you seen in terms of grass species that that you do a really good job on with Anthem Flex? So with Anthem Flex, outside of Italian rye, which is probably our biggest problem in the Palouse region, um, you get to Montana, you see great efficacy on downy brome. 
and even when you get farther into North Dakota and eastern eastern Montana, we see good efficacy in spring wheat on those late-season summer grasses like pigeon grass. Um, and those are probably our biggest weeds, but we do pick up um, rat-tailed fescue, ventinata, and some of the other emerging weeds in eastern Montana. When you talk about uh, using Anthem Flex and the length of control, obviously it's going to depend on a lot of factors, including how much rainfall you get. What are you noticing as you go through the year? Are you able to keep it clean until canopy? Are you seeing late-season weed control that, that you're looking for? What, what should growers be watching out for? So we tend to see full-season control regardless of species just because we're going a high enough rate to make sure we've got enough horsepower on the acre to give us that length of control. And, you know, what you notice most is um, growers tend to think that um, I want to go a low rate and save costs. You know, we need to put a, a higher rate on to make sure we've got that length of control. I mean, we, you might see a breakdown, but that is, you know, few and far between when we talk about those key species like Italian rye and downy brome. I just was looking through some of the questions that have already come into the Ag PhD mailbag, and a number of them are talking about Group One resistant weeds, uh, Group Two resistance, uh, supply issues, all these things. So, talk to us about supply. What what is supply looking like? And then, what about some of these Group One and Group Two resistant grasses? So, uh, fortunately for me, I'm the tech support, so um, I'm, I don't have a quality answer on supply. All I can tell you is. We should have ample supply of Anthem Flex for these wheat growers in the spring, um, and we should have ample supply coming into late summer, early fall. Um, but that's as, that's as close I'm going to get as to what kind of supply we're going to get. When we look at these Group 1 and Group 2 resistant weeds, and I know wild oats is probably one of the biggest ones outside of Italian rye that's showing heavy Group 1 and Group 2 resistance. Um, you know, I, I try and tell growers that, um, if we use these, these nice residual herbicides um, like Anthem Flex and, and a crop like wild oats, especially in the no-till situations, we can get reasonable suppression, pretty good suppression out of it, which reduces the number of wild oats we're going to have to control with our post. But I think the sooner growers can start using a soil residual program like Anthem Flex or even incorporating finesse back in where it, where it fits is... Um, we need to use these residual herbicides while our group ones and group twos still work. Yeah, no doubt about it. The residuals have a, a big area of play here in wheat. And we're talking with Kirk Sager with FMC about that. Kirk, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on the show and good luck heading in towards spring. Well, thank you for the time, gentlemen. You bet. Let's head uh, to the east side of the country. We've got Dwight Ligenfelter with us with Penn State. Dwight, thanks for joining us. Hi, guys. Good to see you again. All right, when we, we look at the small grains, uh, I know a lot of post-emerge treatments get done, of course, but today we're speaking about the pre-emerge options in wheat. What has been the uptake for growers in your part of the country on these pre-emerge herbicides? Are they putting out a lot of pre's ahead of wheat like they are in corn and beans? Uh, I would say in our area, probably not as much. Um, there, there's, there, there's still a, a pretty good emphasis on, on the, you know, the, 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 the post-emerge, early post uh, in the fall or then moving into the spring and trying to pick up things at that point. So it's it just, it's just kind of challenging with the, the number of species that we're dealing with, um, the different, different weed species. It seems like the post options are still a better option at this point. 
when when you look at some of these weeds that you're needing some extra help on, and I know Kirk had mentioned Italian ryegrass in his geography, what are some of the tougher ones that you'd say if, if guys could just eliminate these few weeds, they'd, they'd have a lot better luck with wheat? Yeah, so what we we deal a lot with is common chickweed, and unfortunately we have, we have some pockets here in the state and in the region um, where it's ALS or Group 2 resistant, so it kind of takes out Harmony, Harmony Extra type products. Um, so we, we, we do have a, uh, a supplemental label for Metribuse, and so that's been one of our go-to products for, for you know, two to three ounces of Metribuse and does a really good job on chickweed. And then, and then of course, the mare's tail is always an issue uh, with that. And, and so far, we've had pretty good success with things like Culex. Um, the problem is I'm hearing Culex is getting harder and harder to get now. Um, and then things like Henbit, Dead Nettle. Um, though those, you know, still are, are pretty well controlled with, with the Harmony Extra type programs and, and Metribuzin, um, and, and as well as some mustard species. And then, yeah, we, we are dealing with, with weedy grasses as well. So, so it's Italian, Italian ryegrass, annual ryegrass, and then also the, the brome, uh, da- downy brome species, annual bluegrass. And another one we're getting more and more uh, questions about is one called rough stock bluegrass. It's a perennial perennial bluegrass that stands about three or four feet tall and, and can be kind of challenging to, to control. But so far, activity of, of osprey in the fall or PowerFlex uh, in the early spring seem to be kind of our best bet with a, with a weed like that. Yeah, perennials can be a real challenge, no doubt about that, especially these perennial grasses. That That is is tough. Okay, you mentioned Culex, and, and a lot of these uh, winter annual-type weeds – what are you doing for fall treatments? Are guys getting out at planting time for winter wheat, or are they getting out with fall treatments ahead of a spring wheat crop to try and attack some of those weeds? Yeah. So, so as, as far as as far as the, uh, the you know the residual type programs, you know, you know, there, there's we, we don't really have a whole lot of you know finesse or, or sharpener valor that goes out. There are a few. A few farmers I know that, that will do more the the delayed pre kind of the the, the row and go type of approach where they're putting things like Anthem or a Zizio or an Anthem Flex uh, out there sometimes Prowl and and, and that that kind of gives a, a nice base for controlling some of these these these, these winter annuals uh, whether it be grasses or, or some of the the, the typical broadleaf uh, winter annuals and, and and again that that still hasn't really taken off as much you know there, there's still a lot of of, of Harmony Extra and, and um, Osprey and Culex and, and, you know, programs like that. Is, there's still a lot of, you know, low, two rate, low rates of 2,4-D and Dicamba that go out too. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think we've really, really, you know, pushed that, that pre-market as much as we, we probably should be in some cases. Um, I think, I think the, they're, just, they're, they're just used to using, you know, the, those post materials more so. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I think the wheat guys can teach the, the corn guys quite a bit about fungicide use and how they're managing that. And the corn guys say to the wheat guys, man, you got to get in on these pre's. There's some good stuff there. But uh, lots to talk about. Always great talking with Dwight Ligenfelter with Penn State. Dwight, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. You're, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. 
with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Farming is probably the most natural thing for a person to do. It taught me how to take pride in my work, how to put something ahead of myself, whether it was getting up early to feed the livestock or working late to bring in the harvest. Farming taught me to give it my best, no matter the job. My name is Tanner. I'm a farmer. I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, making claims of improving soil health and plant development. But which products will work best on your farm? Well, that's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products and want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now... You can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about pre-emerge wheat herbicides. And one of the fun things with Ag PhD is, well, especially with our crew here, now, when we go out to film weeds for the Weed of the Week, so often we're finding some of those weeds in one of our own fields or on the edge of the field or something. And uh, the guys will tease me if they ever find them in my field, then it's, oh, man, Darren, look where we got this great lamb squatter footage from or this great kosher footage from. And uh, if we miss the spot uh, with our herbicide program, it sure shows up. Even when you've done a good job for a long time, you can can still have some escapes. So when, when we asked Lee Lubers to be on today, it's like, okay, uh, hopefully Lee doesn't think that we're, we're calling because we said, oh, man, Lee's got a lot of weeds on his farm, so he's going to know what, what it'll take to kill him. Lee, your farm is probably weed-free, so it might be your best guess at what's gonna, what it's going to take to kill weeds and wheat. Uh, the battle never ends. 
<laughs> well, okay, so we were just talking with Dwight Ligenfelter out at Penn State University, and he said in their part of the country that the pre's are getting started, but there's still a lot of guys not using the pre's in wheat like they do in corn and soybeans. How, how about for you? I know you raise a lot of different crops, and I know some of them you probably use more pre's in than others. Are, are, is wheat one of the crops now that you're using a lot of pre's in yet? Uh, there are instances where we do. Uh Several years ago, we took on a new piece of ground, and it had wild oats. And wow, we we had never dealt with that before. We'd heard about it. And uh, actually laying down a pre was the best thing that we could do for control. Yeah, there, there are a lot of choices now, and I know we've got group one and group two herbicides to use post-emerge, but man, since that group 15, uh, Zidua, or uh, one of the components of Anthem Flex has come on the market, we've had a ton of guys talk to us about, I've never had Italian rye control like this. It certainly added a ton to the wild oats control. Uh, that's, that's a big one, and it doesn't go away just with one year of good control either. Yeah, true. Uh, Zidua just it did wonders for us. It was it it exceeded anything that we thought it could ever do because uh, the wild oats is so thick in places. But it it did an outstanding job for us. Yeah, when I first started learning about uh, specific weeds and and got real serious about farming, that was one of the surprises to me is how much more yield damage wild oats cause compared to foxtails. Because I I just always thought, we and we grew oats all the time on the farm, and we'd have some acres of wheat, and we didn't have a big wild oat problem either. But I just thought oats is about the weakest crop. It doesn't take anything to kill oats. So how can wild oats be so bad? But, man, that's a big yield robber. And then you look at at some of the tough broadleafs that we've got. I know in your geography, uh, certainly kochia has got to be a concern for you too in wheat. Uh, yeah, kochia, it likes to flare up, especially if you have some, if you lose a little bit to winter kill. And that's where foxtails can be an issue too. So it can be a real challenge. And that's where you realize a good canopy is wonderful weed control. Yeah, that that is certainly one of the good things about that narrow row spacing that, that's getting used in wheat. And, you know, the other one that I, I should probably mention, too, in terms of broadleaves, because you've talked about this in soybeans and other crops, is pigweed. And so many of our, our guys that, that send in questions on wheat, uh, I don't see pigweed as one of their list of weeds, but it sure seems to be heading west. Yeah, it's starting to show up in our area, so we are actually shifting gears on our herbicide programs just to make sure we stay out of it. How about fertility, Lee? Now you mentioned crop canopy being so important. Are you seeing a faster canopy when you dial in that fertility piece right? Absolutely. Uh, planting our wheat, uh, automatically we uh, not only treat the seed, but we also want a good starter blend. Uh, we've taken pictures before where we stop and uh, empty out our air seeders about partway through, you know, every thousand or so acres and we pull the meters and we check them, make sure there's nothing, no rocks or anything caught in our meters. And sometimes you have a little bit of a gap there. Now, one time we went about halfway across the field. Oh, that's good and emptied out and checked it on the end. Uh, Yeah, it was night and day difference where we had a starter blend and didn't. It wasn't only yield, but also it was a lot thinner where we had some foxtails show up in it and, in that 60 foot band and on either side, there was no foxtail. 
Yeah, it's it's just tremendous. And uh, what I've really liked since drones have become a lot more common in agriculture, when you fly over fields, you can pick out every mistake you made all throughout the year. And <laughs> that's you're exactly right. That's where the weeds are, and, and that's where you know you're going to be fighting something for a while. Yeah, true. Uh, one thing that sounds a little bit unconventional is we do a lot of winter wheat into soybean stubble, and for us, it's critical to have that good pre-program laid down in our beans because that substantially reduces the number of fall annuals that we have to deal with in our winter wheat. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I think about some of those products, like I know the Authority products have been super popular or Spartan, depending on what crop you're in, and they, they've got a pretty long reach. And if you, like I say, you get the crop canopy and you get a good residual down, and you're not exactly in this super high rainfall area. A lot of yours, I know our leaf farms, they get even less rain than we do. That that's a good strategy. Keeping well, kind of like we talk with corn farmers about. Hey, you got to keep the corn really clean, or you're going to have more trouble in your soybeans. It same is true in wheat too. Yeah, we've noticed that it's really helped us kind of break that cycle. It gives us a, a break in the soybeans so that we don't get the fall annuals established, and we start out cleaner in our wheat. Yeah, there are a lot of different challenges with raising wheat and weed control. Certainly one of them, we're talking to one of the best here. This is Lee Lubers in South Dakota. Uh, Lee, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Hey, anytime. Brian, one of the weeds that Lee mentioned was wild oats, and we had a couple of questions that had come in about that. Uh, Brendan said, what do you do with wild oats in terms of pre's? It's been my biggest issue. And then uh, Brendan also chimed in and, and or I'm sorry, Mike Mitchell also chimed in on Brendan's comment. And he said, my axial is still working post-emerge in Australia, but I know that I've got some group one resistance uh, out there. So just just looking at what the what the options are for wild oats. Yep. Well, you don't have many. You have ALS, you have ACCase, and then you have one group 15 product that's not great. So my suggestion at the moment for most people, assuming you don't have, let's let's call it dramatic resistance, is I'd probably start with prepare. That's a group one ALS. And then I'd follow post-emerge with one of the ACCase products, whether that's Axial or Discover or next step or something like that. So you've now used two modes of action. Then if you say, boy, I'm starting to have a problem with the group ones, like in his case, I'd probably use Anthem Flex Down. With that, it's not going to be as good, but at least it's going to be some suppression on the wild oats. And it's going to do a really good job on a lot of foxtails and other grasses. So at least you've got less total pressure there. So hopefully it's easier for your ACCA's post-emerge to work. Oh, and then in rotational crops, if you are using rotational crops, you got to make sure you've got all the weeds controlled. So it's kind of like we talk about rotating corn and soybeans. We got all these Roundup resistant weeds that are tough to control in beans, meaning you need a hundred percent of that of control on those weeds in corn. Yeah, we often focus on return on investment on our show. We got a we had uh, a radio update recently about return on investment. We got a few comments back in that. Grady said, "Hey, this year return on investment is more than just running your numbers. You've also got a lot of risks right now and higher inputs." 
due to all the crazy government actions that have been happening around the world through this whole pandemic. And Jeff said, the other thing to keep in mind is just because input costs are up doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get it back in the fall. So you, you definitely have to look at all those risks and things that can happen from point A to point B. Now, the government thing was brought up. Let's keep in mind, a lot of these things are not that dramatically different than they were in the past. And they may not have any impact on us. Like I farm in South, we farm in South Dakota. Uh, there's basically nothing different here. So I, I often tell people don't watch the news because you're going to get emotional. And whenever you get emotional, you make dumb, bad choices. So we got to try to take the emotion out of it. And let's just look at the economics, the financials. Well, here's a great comment. This is from Edgar up in Michigan. He said, I'm 78 years old, and I started farming back when I was about 17, 18. He said, you can try and outguess the market with your fertilizer inputs and everything else, but he goes, I, my experience is whenever you start shortchanging it, that's when you start losing. So that's that's Edgar's advice uh, based on 60 years of farming. Hey, Edgar, thank you so much. Really appreciate that. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. This is a wake-up call for you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answers to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. 
With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us as well, radio at agphd.com. We'll dive back into the Ag PhD mailbag again. And Brian, we had a question that came in uh, a few days ago, I believe, about can you put Zyway fungicide in a strip-till pass and then plant your corn into that strip-till pass. And uh, I know a lot of guys are using it and trying to keep it off the seed, putting it in a 2 by 2 or using the Thrive 3D system if they're putting it in furrow, and that works great. How about the strip-till? Okay, so when I answered this question two days ago, I didn't feel like I gave the best answer because I said, boy, I hadn't even thought about that before. I didn't think it was labeled, but then, of course, I looked on the label, and it actually is labeled. It's labeled for injection two to three inches below the seed, which is hopefully what you're going to do that strip till. So what we talked about a couple days ago is you got to have it as close to the seed as possible. And granted, we don't want it on the seed or anything like that. So anyway, I think that should work. Now, along those same lines, we had the question, how about insecticide put on the same way? So the Zyway doesn't seem to be much of a concern as long as you can keep it relatively concentrated below the seed. But what I am worried about would be the insecticide because if you stop and think about it for a second, the nodal roots are the ones that we need to protect. And nodal roots actually come out above the seed. Now, granted, they go down in time. But here's where I'm going with this. It depends a lot on the insect. So if we were to put our insecticide down, in effect, let's call it four inches in the soil as opposed to near the surface of the soil. Well, we'll probably still do okay on rootworms. We might do okay on white grubs, but we're going to be really weak on things like cutworms because cutworms are going to feed at the soil surface and they're not going to plunge down into the soil that deep usually. So I'm, I'm just trying to say I, I, I'm, I'm going to be hesitant to tell you, oh yeah, go ahead and put your Zyway and your insecticide on with a strip-till machine unless I know exactly how you're doing it. But, you know, obviously it's your farm and you can try it and just see how it goes. All right. Uh, I get a question that came in from Todd, and he said, my question is about the use of molasses. I'm wondering, have you used it on your farm before? Have you seen any response? Uh, lots of products out there claiming to be uh, good to use in furrow with starters, with crop protection pre or post, or even with UAN in the side dress to help stabilize it, uh, looking at like a gallon and a half or two gallons per acre of molasses, or have you used any other sugars instead? Yes, we have used sugars. I, I don't remember if we've used molasses specifically, but most of our sugar work has turned out not, I mean, where we got no gain. We did have one year where we got gain, and I think it was in corn, triolose was the sugar, and I, I guess that was the only time we ever saw it show up positive. Now, I really don't know why we haven't looked at more of that here lately as our yields continue to go up, but we do get this question 
on an annual basis. And Darren, this is one of the things we were talking about just over the last couple of days. Darren and I were meeting with a group of farmers that wants to do a bunch of different trials. Maybe this would be something that we should try at some point or do a little more work ourselves on sugars. We've never seen much gain, but maybe we will here over time. And maybe there are, there are certain situations where we would see more. All right. Thanks for the question, Todd. This one comes in from Marion, who says, I know you can put on 10 pounds of nitrogen for each CEC point, but wouldn't other cations be tying up some of those sites as well? Well, cation exchange capacity is the measurement of uh, all, not effectively all the cations. I mean, it's not ever going to be 100% of them. And to your point, okay, if we've got this cation exchange capacity, is it going to be holding other cations in the soil? Well, of course it is. And quite frankly, our nitrogen isn't always going to be in the cation form anyway. What we're basically looking at is how heavy is your soil? Because the heavier your soil is, the more it will hold because the harder it is for water to simply move anything down through it. So it's a combination of a number of factors. And also, let me just say, this is not an exact science. This is just something that we had heard years ago, have started to, I mean, we, we have done work on that to try to figure out, okay, what can we really hold? It's going to vary depending on how much rainfall and how much heat you have and microbial activity. And of course, on how far in advance you put that nitrogen. If you put it on two months before you ever have a crop there, that's whole different than if your corn is already at waist high and it's literally pulling out pounds of nitrogen every single day. All right, switch gears here and, and talk sulfur a little bit. Dinesh uh, has high pH soils, and in their area, they're using ammonium sulfate and seeing some relief from the high pH soils. Just curious how that differs from elemental sulfur and if you think ammonium sulfate is a decent way to do it too. Well, sure. I mean, any form of sulfur is most likely going to help get certain nutrients in that soil a little bit more available. Plus, I mean, the plant needs a whole bunch of sulfur anyway. So any form is good. But sulfate is available today, and sulfate is the leachable form. Elemental sulfur is what I would call a slow-release fertilizer. It's going to break down over time, hopefully sooner rather than later, but some elemental sulfur forms, it literally could take five years or more to, to fully break down. Um, with elemental sulfur, when it converts over to sulfate, and it will eventually convert over to sulfate, then there is a biological process that happens. There's bacteria in the soil that will act together with the soil's water and air, and during that process, sulfuric acid will be created. And whenever I say the word acid, you got to think, okay, with plant roots, what they do is they kick out chelating agents or what we would call organic acids. The reason why they do that is to try to make nutrients that are sitting there in the soil more available. They might not be in an available form today, but by hitting it with an acid, then there is a better chance that it's going to come available. So is elemental sulfur a better choice in high pH? 
Well, I would say yes, conditionally. As long as you have good drainage in that high soil pH, we're fine with it. The problem if you don't have good drainage is what I was just saying is in order for this conversion to happen from elemental sulfur over to sulfate, you've got to have air in that soil for the microbes. When you have poor drainage, that means that the way to think about that on the opposite end of the spectrum is you have poor air infiltration into your soil. You don't have air there. So if you don't have air, your elemental sulfur can end up turning to hydrogen sulfide instead of hydrogen sulfate, which is sulfuric acid. Hydrogen sulfide, if you get that in your soil, your soil is going to smell like rotten eggs. Now you got a real problem. So while I prefer elemental sulfur, the condition is I want to have good drainage. All right. And speaking of sulfur, Don sends one in. I uh, want to add some sulfur in my garden. How much should I add and what form should I use? Well, that's a pretty open-ended question because I don't know what crop we're talking about, and I don't know how much soil or how much sulfur is already in your soil. So you just have to look at the nutrient removal charts, and that will give you most of your answer. So on the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app, for example, we have a whole bunch of different crops there, even some of those crops that you might raise in the garden, and you can see how much sulfur you're going to need based on whatever your yield goal is. Now, this is obviously a lot more challenging in the garden because how much is your stuff yielding on a per acre basis because that's how everything is calculated in there um, so it's easy for me on a big scale farm you just have to run a little bit of math when you're talking about some little area that's just a few square feet all right thanks for the question don we appreciate that uh, i got a comment that came in this is from pramod he said Thank you for putting out the content. I'm an agricultural student from India, and by watching your videos, I really started loving agriculture. Hey, thanks, Pramod. We really appreciate that. Uh, thanks for, for checking out our content. Good luck to you as you, uh, as you head into your career. We'll be back with more Ag PhD mailbag questions right after this. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective, contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPBD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5EC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit felchamusa.com. Always read and follow label instructions. 
How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, making claims of improving soil health and plant development. But which products will work best on your farm? Well, that's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Soybean growers are dealing a swift blow to tough broad leaves and grasses with the two-in-one power of Moccasin MTZ. Moccasin MTZ combines the power of s metolachlor and a higher load of Metribuzin for outstanding weed control right from the outset with extended residual control to keep tough weeds down, including pigweed, water hemp, ragweed, and mare's tail. In addition to annual grasses like foxtail and barnyard grass, ask your retailer about Moccasin MTZ and always read and follow label directions. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of Burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your Burndown. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting for the Morton Studio today, and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. That means our phones are open throughout the rest of the show at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. All right, next question comes in from Roger, who is in central Illinois. And Roger wants to know a little bit about cover crops. He said, I watched your soils clinic online, and I've heard cover crops or plant roots can help move fertilizer down in the soil. But don't those roots also bring nutrients to the surface? I'm wondering (laughs) how I should be looking at this. Yep. Yep. So we've heard a lot of that talk. We haven't actually seen and been able to prove that out, that the plant roots can bring some nutrients down into the soil. I would say, though, when roots decay, they're going to release some nutrients, but don't count on many being down there. So let's put it this way. If I, if I want to get, let's call it 300 pounds of potassium down eight inches deep in my soil, I'm going to get there in 100 years by doing cover crops, in my estimation. Maybe I'm wrong. I could get there in one shot by physically placing it down eight inches in the soil. So even if it takes 20 years and I'm way off on my 100-year thing, well, how many years am I going to farm? I'm 53 years old, and I'd like things to happen now. I'm not 23. I'm 53. So, And I don't know what what position you're in and how many years you have left to farm or anything else. And granted, I'm considered a young farmer at 53. Okay, But still, I, I want things to happen now. I'm just not much for waiting forever for these things to happen. And I don't know that I can do it. So if you want to move fertility down deep, you got to place it there. And then I know for sure it happens. All right. Got a question that came in from Brian who said, do you trust the high speed corn planters to do a good job? You know, I didn't, but I would say I do now. We have run a bunch of tests on that on our own farm. And I, I, 
I am skeptical of most new technology. I want to actually see it in the field and see that it works. And you know what? We've done stand counts. We've done yield checks. We've done everything. And it's pretty darn good. I'll tell you, too, having an absolute perfect stand is not that big a deal usually. I mean, sure, if you're going for 400 bushel corn, then it's probably a pretty big deal. But if you're going for 200 to 300 bushel corn, missing a few plants, skipping a few plants is not that big a deal in our experience. We just have not been able to show that it's some great big yield gain having an absolute perfect stand. But that being said, we've seen just as good a stands with the high-speed planter as we have normal speed planter for the most part. So I'd also say because of the mechanisms that they're using now for high-speed planting, it's allowing us to, if you want to just slow down a little bit, I think, well, I know you can do a better job than when you were going that slower speed before. So what I'm trying to say is, let's say you like to plant at five miles an hour, and that's all you're comfortable with. I, I still might get a high-speed planter, and I think you'll get just a slightly better stand planting at five miles an hour. And then you have the flexibility if you want to go, if, you're, if you get in a hurry and you say, oh, my goodness, here come, a storm's coming, and I only have 40 acres left, I'm going to go almost double speed. You can do it, and it's not going to kill you. Yeah, I think if your soil conditions are fit, this works very well. Where the really the only place I've seen a problem is when the soil is just rough or it's just not fit to be out there planting. Then yeah, you can get oh, in, well, in some yeah, trouble. Yeah, but the same hurry. thing would be with an the same. Well, thing it's be with worse. It's worse. Like three miles an hour. Worse than driving slow. Okay, but yes, it, yes, I agree with that. It would be worse, but still, you shouldn't be out there anyway. Nope, totally agree. All right, uh, get this one in from PN. Just wondering, have, has Ag PhD looked at the drone sprayers on the market? Have you done any research there? <laughs> it's funny because our, that's what our people are talking to us. Our research people at Ag PhD are talking to Darren and me about. They're all excited about these drone sprayers. Here again, I'm a little skeptical and hesitant, but we're going to do some of that on our farm this year. And we'll probably even do that with a few other farmers as well, just to see what we think. There's potential there. It's just you got to fill up constantly. So when they have the swarms where basically there are three in a field, I mean, literally, they're returning to you every few minutes. And so you just, uh, it's basically a click and go thing. You just pull off the old tank, put on the new tank that's already full with whatever you have to spray, and you can go. So... Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's something that's certainly possible. We'll see how well it works, but you're just not going to get the amount of acres done in an hour that you could with a, a big sprayer. I mean, we've got 120-foot spray. We have 220-foot spray booms on our farm. And so with anything like that, um, you know, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to go a lot faster. All right. I uh, got a question here that came in from Brandon, who I believe is in Tennessee. And Brandon said, I've got a 185-acre field that I'm looking at doing some drainage work on. And I'm curious, do you have to fix your surface drainage first before you tile? Or can you take care of the ponding issues with subsurface tile? Also, with a 10 CEC and 2.4% organic matter, can, I, can that guide me in what type of spacing I need for my tile? Uh, yes. So you can use that. When, when you have lighter soil, that means your tile lines can be further apart. I'd also say that you don't have to worry about this above-ground drainage issue 
too much. But nevertheless, when you have a surface drainage issue that's telling me we may have a compaction problem that tiling is not going to fix. So I'd look real hard at what do you have for calcium levels and what do you have for compaction in your soil? You might need to do some deep tillage. Calcium's around, there may 60, around 60%. Base okay, so that's, that's not bad. Yeah, that, that's certainly not bad, especially for that light of soil. That's probably where I want to be is somewhere around 60 on calcium, and I'd like to be close to 20 on magnesium. And the pH okay, so, is mostly around 6, but there are a couple of spots out there that are up around 8. So that yeah. looks like where you've um, got the most drainage issue. Yep. Anyway, I, I guess I would just say I'm not super concerned about the whole surface thing. I'd put the tile in first and then see how I'm shaking out. If I still have surface issues, that tells me most likely what I've got going on is compaction of some sort, and I'm going to try to address that. Okay, got a question from Thomas, and he said, if I've got soil tests coming back with 200 pounds of nitrogen in the top two feet with only 35 pounds of that 200 in the top six, I'm wondering how much credit do you give to all that nitrogen when a lot of it is down in the second foot? Well, it depends on your area. So in our area, our ground is really dry right now. It would take a crazy amount of rain to get us even back to normal moisture situation, a normal moisture situation, let alone leach everything down. So the other thing is for us, we like to plant as the frost is coming out of the ground. So in other words, there's very little time for that leaching to occur before we're starting to get roots down and extracting it out. So in our area where I have heavy soils and very little rain, I'd say I'm going to count on most of that and we'll be able to take it up this year. In your area, if you have light soil, lots of heat, so the ground is already um, unfrozen, it's already thawed out, and you get lots of moisture, I'd say I wouldn't count on a whole lot of that. So all depends. Yeah, lots of, lots of things there that could really impact that. And, of course, you know, what, what are you raising for a crop? When is it going to be in man? Some of that you can think you have planned out, and then the season can, can sure throw you a, a curveball there. All right, uh, get this one in from Parker, and he said, I'm, I'm farming in southwest Georgia. I hear you guys talk about transferring your GPS soil samples uh, to a format where you can lay yield maps over them. I'm wondering, how do you do that, or is there a program out there that I can buy? There's no program we know that you can buy. We've got a computer program now that we've developed, but otherwise it's just manual. That's how we used to do it, where we'd overlay the yield and the soil test maps together we'd look at each gps point where we had soil tested and we just take the yield from right there put that on the spreadsheet because ultimately that's what we want is we want to get this all into spreadsheet form so then we can start making our comparisons for individual nutrients and even nutrient ratios yeah it's been really interesting looking at some of those ratios and trying to figure out exactly what do we need because nobody's been doing this so there's nobody out there that can really give us great ideas on that but it's been fun to see how our yields have responded on wet years and on dry years in in these different conditions and with different values on our soil tests so kudos to you parker uh, hopefully you get that done for your farm too thanks for listening to our show today be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.